0: Belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for November thirteenth, twenty twenty two, is called "You Are Extraordinary." The speaker is Laura Holland, and it was recorded on Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Hi. Welcome. My name is Laura Holland, and I am part of the teaching team. And I am so excited for all of you that are here today, everybody that is watching online or listening to the podcast, as we all hear about how we're ordinary. Welcome. In Max Licato's children's book, You Are Special, he tells the story of the Wimmicks. These are small, wooden, puppet like people carved by their maker, Eli. The Wemmicks spend their days judging each other, and they place stickers on each other as a form of social currency. So they would place a gold star when they see another Wemmick who was beautiful or was talented, and this was a way that they would celebrate that. And then they had gray dots, and these they would place on the Wemmicks that had nicks in their wood or were ordinary, nothing special when they received stars, they would feel really, really good and they would try to keep doing those things to receive even more. And then there were the wimmicks who were only given gray dots. They then would try to do or say what they saw the Wemmicks that were receiving the gold stars do, but it never seemed to work. Then there was one wimmick who had no stickers at all, no stars or no dots, Because anything placed on her seemed to fall off. In a world where everything that they did earned gold stars or gray dots, what did it mean that there was this one Wemek that had none? What does it mean when we have none? How does this happen? Your special is an allegory where we can easily put ourselves in the Wemmicks wooden shoes, and we don't even have to imagine, really, what it would feel like to get those gold stars or those gray dots, because we get likes, we get invitations, we get another view, we get all of these things that are social validation for us as well. And we live in a world that tells us that we should be striving for these gold stars, that we should keep doing these things to earn gold stars. But what about when we feel like we have gray dots or maybe no stickers at all? What does it mean to be ordinary? If, like the Wemmicks, we were all handing out these literal stickers as we were judging each other, we would probably all have a mix of gold stars and gray dots, right? Luckily for us though, that's not actually how these things are shared. We don't know as directly what people are thinking about us, not quite as visible. But we probably are all carrying around those memories of the metaphorical gold stars or gray dots that we have received throughout our lives. When I was in the eighth grade, I was selected for All Region Choir, and it was a big deal. It was a super big deal. And it really felt like a gold star moment in my life. Until my choir teacher, just in conversation, was like, man, you're such a good blender. (laughs) What's a blender? Mm -hmm. So for those that also didn't know, a blender is someone that is in the choir just because they can carry a tune and really nothing else, literally there to make sure that the superstars don't outshine anything. I was there to just keep everybody neutral. Not the gold star moment I thought that it was. I'm also frequently stopped. And when I say frequently, I mean like this is a weekly occurrence. And people are like, ah, are you? Oh, no, are you related to them? Like, ooh, their face just looks so familiar. And once we go through like the dance of like, no, that's not me, no, not their next door neighbor, no, sorry, promise it's not me it almost always ends with some comment like, you just have one of those faces. So all I can guess is that one of those faces means that I just have an ordinary face that looks like most other people with my coloring and general features. It's not a standout. I also have learned this one time with my grandmother. My two sisters and I were hanging around And after she went through praising them for their intellect and their beauty and their character, she looked at me and I kid you not, said, Flora, you have nice eyebrows. You'll never have to pluck them. (laughs) Joke's on her because they were nice because I shaped them. But, but, it also kind of felt like the joke was on me because they were just constant reminders that I wasn't a standout other than my eyebrows. It's these experiences that got me questioning what do we do in a world that often makes us feel like we need to be the best of the best? That we need to have a platform, and especially for women, I can only speak to my experience, we're supposed to look great while doing this too, eyebrows and all. What do we do when ordinary feels like we've missed the mark? Surely I'm not the only one that wonders this sometimes. It spends time trying to figure out, if I am doing this right? If I'm not extraordinary, am I in fact doing it wrong? I certainly hope not. And I hope none of us are doing this wrong because I have news for everyone here today. You are ordinary. You're ordinary. I'm ordinary. We are all ordinary. And if that's not a bad thing, then why does being called ordinary sometimes feel like a slight? Kind of like a, oh, I don't know that I like that. But I think it has a lot to do with the connotations that we have with the word. So as Alex mentioned, we spent a lot of time in teaching team meeting this week talking about this. We were asking which words were good synonyms for ordinary And we wanted to know what were the good words, not those that put a positive spin on it necessarily, but words that captured what ordinary meant in this context, what it meant for us. And I'm going to be honest, our determinations did not always line up with Merriam-Webster. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know, my Google search tells me something a little different than what you're saying, fair, that's probably true, but as a team, as a group, we decided that these were not the right words. And I will say that this process of going through what was and wasn't a, a synonym that we were comfortable with that we thought hit the mark was actually far more telling than it would have been if we were just trying to be right. So here's a list of the words that we did not think were the right ones. These were words like average, insignificant, plain, generic, mundane, or homogeneous. We also ruled out that being ordinary is not the same thing as being passive and just letting the world go by. And though we ultimately decided that these were not the right words to fit with what we meant by ordinary, when we were talking about this, it was clear why we had such a negative connotation with the word. Because if these were the words that were aligned closely enough in our mind that we needed to untangle them, of course owning that we are ordinary could make us feel less than. So at the same time that I'm praising you for your ordinariness, it's a word today, and I am thanking you for the ordinary things that you bring, I also want us to reframe what ordinary means, and I want us to try to untangle some of the misconceptions and the things that we have associated with this idea through the years. Indian mystic Rajneesh, an admittedly controversial figure, once said, drop the idea of being extraordinary. It's keeping you mediocre. To be ordinary is the most extraordinary thing in the world. The ordinary person has light in his eyes. He has become extraordinary, but he has no idea of it. So in other words, it's the try-hard nature of seeking the extraordinary that kills our creativity and the spark that makes us, us. The same creativity that is a direct reflection of our creator, God in us. So if we're to believe Rajneesh, we need to lean into what we feel makes us ordinary. So at the risk of sounding completely dense up here, the more that I typed the word extraordinary as I was um, writing out my thoughts for this, I became more and more hyper aware that extraordinary is literally just extra ordinary. So we spend so much time trying to be extraordinary. That's our goal. And as I was thinking through this morning and what I wanted to say, I realized, yeah, that is a good goal when we put the space in between, when our goal is to be extra ordinary, extra what makes us us, what makes us ordinary people. When we step into our ordinary. What makes us ordinary? This is when we are able to be present. This is when we're able to be content. And this is when we are most connected with the Holy Spirit. I truly believe that. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. So I wanted to go back a little bit to walk through some of my thought process with this. Because you might be asking, like I did, What gets in our way of being comfortable with being ordinary, regular or extra? Why is that not something that we are comfortable with and keeps us grinding for more? Glennon Doyle begins her book, Untamed, with a story about a trip to a zoo. And this zoo had hyped up their special event, the Cheetah Run. When she and her family arrived to the viewing area, she saw the zookeeper holding a labrador retriever named Minnie, who was introduced to the crowd as Tabitha the cheetah's best friend. Minnie and Tabitha were raised together, and though touted as her friend, Minnie's real job was to train Tabitha, or maybe, more to the point, to tame her. So the zookeeper shared that what Minnie does Tabitha wants to do, and so they used that natural desire of Tabitha's to be like Minnie to their advantage. Glennon Doyle goes on to write about watching Minnie the Lab chase a dirty pink bunny that was attached, a stuffed bunny, just to be clear, that was attached to a Jeep, Um, and being told that Tabitha, the cheetah, was watching this lab Chase a stuffed bunny as well to remember how it was done so that she would know what to do when it was her turn to be let out of the gates. And when it was Tabitha's turn, she took off like a flash. She went around the cheetah run, and though she didn't get the bunny, she did get a stake for her dutiful efforts. While others were cheering, Doyle uneasy thought day after day. This wild animal chases dirty pink bunnies down a well-worn narrow path they cleared for her, never looking left or right, never catching that bunny, settling instead for a store-bought steak and the distracted approval of sweaty strangers, obeying the zookeeper's every command, just like Minnie, the lab she's been trained to believe she is, unaware that if she remembers her wildness just for a moment, she could tear those zookeepers to shred. So the first time that I heard this story, I cried. I cried because there was an immediate recognition in me. And I felt about how often I, in a slight deviation from Tabitha's experience, chose to act like a lab because that's what I thought I was being told to do. That's what I thought I was supposed to do. And I think, I'm really sorry, I think it's because I was doing it for the approval of those sweaty strangers, which is a really gross statement. Um, but I did that instead of trusting, instead of trusting that God made me a cheetah and I needed to be a cheetah. And I think it could be easy to apply value judgments between labs and cheetahs. But the truth is, they're both incredible creatures. And they both have incredible value and qualities and innate skills that make the world more ordered and beautiful because they're in it. We need both labs and cheetahs. But we don't need labs neglecting their companionship role trying to be a cheetah. Nor do we need cheetahs chasing stuff being bunnies instead of living their own wild lives. Teddy Roosevelt told us that comparison is the thief of joy. We already all know that. We know that because this is one of the many things that makes the idea of being ordinary make us feel less than. For many years now, at least since Facebook was the Facebook and you had to have a college email address to be able to access it, we have heard about the negative social impacts of social media. And though millennials and Gen Z do get the brunt of the the criticism on our habits there, if my Facebook feed that shows my grandmother and Tim's great aunt are any indication, this is not generation specific. We've likely all heard about the studies about how psychologically damaging it is that we compare our full lives to other people's highlights. We're left to believe that ordinary doesn't cut it. Conversely, we can also compare our full lives to some people's lowlights because there is this reoccurring trend to highlight just how ordinary you are with your messy house or your misbehaving kids or these self-deprecating stories about your day. So when we compare ourselves to the people posting on these accounts, we realize we're not even the right kind of ordinary. We can't get it right. And it can be easy to suggest that maybe this actually not that big of a deal. Maybe we make too much of this, because we know the difference between social media and real life, but I'm not so sure. According to a 2019 poll by Morning Consult, 54% of Americans ages 13 through 38, to help put this into perspective, those on the upper end are now in their 40s, so 13 through me, bless some change, 54% would become an influencer if given a chance and nearly three quarters of those in the same age range follow influencers. Another study of 3,000 kids found that if choosing between becoming a teacher, a professional athlete, a musician, an astronaut, or a YouTuber, nearly 30% ranked YouTuber as their top choice. Kids would rather be a social media star than the next Simone Biles or Neil Armstrong these kids are seeing the impact of influencers, and they're not just comparing themselves to them, they want to be the one people are comparing themselves to. And not just kids. Because remember, the first statistic goes to full-grown adults tipping into the category of middle-aged. We want to be looked at. We want to be noticed. We want the platform and notoriety and celebrity that comes from the role of influencer. And I would submit that it's because we want proof that we are not just like everybody else. We want proof and validation that we are special. Yet like Tabitha the cheetah, we're choosing to be influenced by a lab to become less cheetah and more pup, all the while wishing we were the ones influencing others to be like us. There was a meme going around a while back that proclaimed, always remember, you are absolutely unique, just like everyone else. And then conversely, Dr. Seuss told us, today you are you, this is truer than true. There, was, there is no one alive more you than you. So how can it be that our being ordinary is what makes us special, just like everybody else? It all goes back to the garden. When God was creating, God made light and dark and earth and water and plants and animals, and He said, These are good. And then God made humans and called us very good, exceptionally good. And what makes us very good is that each of us is a unique expression of the Imago Dei. We are all unique image bearers. And though we all share the same image, or share the image of the same God, rather, the expression reflected in each of us is unique. So when we are in relationship with each other, we're able to see an even larger representation of God in each other because we all bear God's image and do so in the unique way that was given to us. So in a way that makes us so that nobody is more youer than you. And as beautiful and as connecting as I, I think it is when we talk about being image bearers, I also do think that sometimes it can cause some confusion. We can know that everyone is a unique expression, yet still find ourselves thinking, if we're all bearing the image of the same God, should we not at least kind of expect to look the same as others? Maybe at least in some ways? and might ordinary maybe at least match up with your ordinary. I think we've probably all seen the, the actions, the results, where we begin to think that if I know that God made me a lab, then, and I know I'm made in God's image, then surely I am helping that cheetah if I'm helping them become more like me. It's math, right? I have shared this quote before. Um, but I really love it, so I'm going to share it again. A.W. Tozer writes, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. The cheetah and lab are both called to look to Jesus to find how to be fully themselves, not to each other. So we get that we're not supposed to compare ourselves to others, but what about comparing ourselves to Jesus? Is that one good? Is that what Tozer was getting at? Because if you Google how to be like Jesus or how to imitate Christ, you will find thousands and thousands of answers. And I'm sure that there's some truth to be found in most of them that would come up. I'm admittedly partial to Henry Nowen's take where he wrote, when the imitation of Christ does not mean to live a life like Christ, but to live your whole life as authentically as Christ lived his, then there are as many ways and forms in which a man can be a Christian. So the imitation isn't in the outcome or even in the specific actions. The imitation is then what we are comparing ourselves to with Jesus is his posture. Jesus taught us how to be fully human. And we follow his example then when we allow ourselves to be fully human. Extraordinary humans. So I started today with a list of words that the teaching team determined weren't synonyms of ordinary. But that begs the question, what words are? Some of the ones we came up with were enough. Valuable. Complete. Necessary. Bringing balance. Bringing contentment. So if we reframe ordinary with These being our basis, with this understanding, does it change the way we feel when we hear that we are ordinary? Because you are ordinary. Extra ordinary, with a cherry on top. I want that to sink in, that you are ordinary, and you are enough. That you are ordinary, you belong here. You are ordinary, and I see God's fingerprints all over you because of that. You are ordinary, and because of you, I have a fuller picture of who God is. You are ordinary, and you do not need to strive for any more. You are ordinary, and we need your ordinary gifts. You are ordinary, and we hope that our ordinary gifts bless you. You don't have to platform your successes or your flaws, because we seek to see those and celebrate those already. Together, let us be ordinary. It was trusting the truth behind this that allowed that one Wemek to not have any stickers, no stars or dots, stuck to her. She didn't put any stock in the judgments of others because each day she visited visited her maker, Eli the woodcarver. And when she would visit, he would carefully remove any stickers that she'd received since the last time that she saw him. And as he did so, he would speak words of truth to her. He told her that she was exactly how he'd made her to be and that to him, she was already and always enough. So, yes, this application is a bit on the nose, but that doesn't make its truth any less true. The more we go to Jesus and allow Him to be the one who reminds us, who tells us, you are and always have been enough, you are exactly who I made you to be, the easier it is for those words from other people to not be quite as loud, to not hit us so deeply. I have to admit, though, that as much as I truly do find freedom in the idea that we're all ordinary and that that's enough, and maybe hopefully you do too, and I've lived the truth that trusting what Jesus says about me is more true than what others do, I still find myself wondering what it means to live an ordinary life with purpose. In other words, how do we contribute to the world if we are not striving to be more than ordinary? So I think for me, I struggled finding this answer because I was looking at it in the wrong way. Betty suggested a reframing from a book she loves, Futureville, which states that we live lives of purpose when we bring beauty, bring order, or bring abundance to the world. And here's what I love about that. When I am loading or unloading the dishwasher, or I return an item that I've carried around Target throughout my shopping trip and realized I didn't want to its rightful place, I'm bringing order. When my kids are drawing and creating different things and my neighbor is planting flowers, they're bringing beauty. When Cecily is dropping off blankets at Seven Hills and Betty and Meg and Teresa are making many, many meals to give to circles, an organization that is seeking to bring people up at socioeconomic levels, refusing to give in to the idea that if someone else is doing well, then I can't do as well myself. Those are acts bringing abundance. These are all beautiful, ordinary things that we can do when we are living our ordinary lives with purpose. <laughs> Two weeks ago, Tim spoke about saints. And don't think it hasn't occurred to me several times that he spoke about saints, and I'm speaking about ordinary people, but that's, that's not the point right now. Tim spoke about saints, and when he did, he challenged us at the end of his message to think about people in our lives who we'd consider saints. So I want to expand on that a little bit. And first I want to ask to the people that came to your mind either then or today when you're thinking about it, what did they do? What impact did they have on your life that made them extraordinary? What made them stand out? There's a reason that they came to mind as saints in your life. Why? Why? But now I'd ask, what makes them ordinary? And the real point that I'm trying to get here to, not to lead, lead the thoughts too much here, is is there any overlap between those two things? Because my saints were those who spent time with me. It's pretty ordinary. They were ones who encouraged me, who called out things that they, they saw maybe a bit less ordinary, but still pretty ordinary. They were those who were honest about their own lives and let me into it and allowed me to be honest about mine as well. That one can feel a little extra ordinary, but it's still ordinary, these are ordinary actions that we have when we're in relationship with each other. So maybe saints are ordinary people that are doing ordinary things faithfully, doing these ordinary things in community, Allowing us to be our ordinary selves. Maybe ordinary people are those who let God use their ordinary works for God's extraordinary purposes. Either way, there is a freedom in the ordinary. There is freedom in releasing ourselves from always striving for more, for more success, more education, to be more liked or more known. There is freedom when we can rest in the truth that who we are right now is enough and that we can grow and we can change and we can even become better in some ways and we will still be enough. There is freedom that comes when we fully accept that we are extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.